Our reading for today is a very, very familiar uh, story. It is the story of the, the wise men who come and visit. Uh, they traveled from the east to visit and to pay tribute to uh, the newly born Jesus. Uh, you guys familiar with these guys, the wise men? You've probably seen some iteration of them in the uh, wonderfully designed live nativities that may appear across the city. You know, it's usually three guys, uh, blue and gold robes, uh, Burger King crown, uh, sneakers and glasses, you know. They're trying, they're trying. Um, but I want to see how well you know. There are a lot of traditions around these, uh, these wise men, and uh, we'll do a little quiz. So you've got to do some feedback. Are you ready? So we'll see how well you are uh, versed in, in uh, things that aren't in the Bible, okay? All right, so we'll start really simple here. How many wise men were there? See, I love some of you are my people. You're like, we don't really know. Uh, the answer is three. Yeah, there we go. Wow, this, this, this is tailing. This is tail spinning. <laughs> um, yeah, so the next one is uh, a little bit more difficult. Do you know their names, these traditional names? Anybody? Belthazar, I heard that. I'm just hearing noises. Somebody got them? Across the room, we have all three. All right, let's see what we got. Yeah, those people. Casper. Yeah. He was really white. He was like the, the whitest Persian you've ever seen. Um, so they brought gifts to Jesus. Do you know what those gifts were? Yeah, that should be pretty simple. Answer. Survey says? Yeah. Uh, I could totally host that game show. Um, oh, finally, finish this lyric. We three kings of Orient are very good. Now, I don't want you to forget about another set of three kings that are more important to me, and these are the uh, kings of the blues. We got Albert King, B.B. <laughs> King, Freddie King. Are you with me on that? Yeah. If you don't have these guys on your shelf, you need to get that going. All right. That said, are you ready? We have, some, uh, we have some sermon business to take care of. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, uh, then I'll pray, and then we'll unpack this for a few minutes and then talk about what it means uh, for us. Uh, verse 1, chapter 2 of Matthew. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, Where is the Christ to be born? They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
Dun, dun, dun. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their way, to their own country, by another way. Let's pray. God, this is a very familiar story, and we pray that um, you teach us something today. Remind us of things that we've forgotten, uh, but encourage us in ways that we need. And it's in your name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Now, all of these gospel writers, they have ideas that they want us to feel and to see and to hear. Uh, there's things they want us to sense as we read their uh, retellings of the Jesus story. And in this story that Matthew retells for us, the, the subterranean hum across the story is this general sense of disruption uh, brought on by the birth of Jesus. Every character in the story uh, is experiencing a disruption, that the birth of Jesus is disrupting. Now, the parents are obvious. I mean, anybody who's had a child understands that this is a disruption. Any parents in the room want to amen that? Remember your first child, you built the nursery. It's like, this is so Pinterest. And uh, then the child came, and you're like, forget that, you know. Uh, but the parents, Mary and Joseph, the disruption is simply that they are caught up in something that is beyond them. And that's what parenting is. But in this case, we're talking about very specifically Jesus and God working through Mary and Joseph to bring into the world this person. So they're caught up in this thing that is beyond them, and that can be disrupting. Now, Herod feels a sense of disruption, but it's for a different reason. Herod is this client king, this Roman client king who's been relegated to the Palestinian region, but he's uh, governing in, uh, specifically in the southern part of Israel, which is known as Judea. And Judea is where we get the word Jew from. And so the Magi come to town, and they ask Herod where the king of the Jews has been born. Herod's official title, by the way, was king of the Jews. So as I always say, it's never a good idea to ask the current king of the Jews where the new king of the Jews has been born. Especially Herod. I mean, this is late in his life. He will die soon. Uh, and late, in his later years, he became very uh, rage-filled, murderous rage. And, you know, played that out a few times. And so what Herod feels is this sense of disruption based on uh, the potential loss of his power and his influence. Now, this is not our topic for today, but pastorally, I think we all understand that. Uh, Jesus disrupts our sense of self. It, he disrupts our sense of autonomy. And the closer we get to Jesus, sometimes the more frustrating it can be uh, because he brings that disruption to how we view ourselves in the world, our power, our influence, our station. And Herod is experiencing that too. But the magi, the wise men, this is where I want to sit today. The, the disruption they experience is in the cosmos. Uh, something has happened in the stars. Now these magi are 
quite familiar with the stars. Most people in the ancient world were. I know that you're thinking, we, we live in a nice big metropolitan area, so it's like we have, we have stars. There are stars in there, like more than seven. Um, you know, but when you lived in a world that, you know, when the sun went down, everything was dark. Uh, they could see so much of the heavens. And these people fashioned themselves uh, as astrology types. And so something in the cosmos catches their attention. And Matthew wants us to see all of these disruptions. But for us today, uh, I want to talk about and reflect on the journey of the Magi. Now, a couple things about these people. We know very, very little from the biblical story. Matthew tells us nothing, just like these guys from the east. Um, you know, so a lot of the uh, knowledge around who these people were, it's a lot of historical, archaeological, anthropological digging around. Uh, but by and large, and this is the basic, you know, by and large, this is the basic understanding of who these people were. They are from Persia. They are members of uh, some kind of uh, religious order, uh, the Zoroastrianism uh, faith system, which is really, in the ancient world, a pre-Islamic, monotheistic Persian religion. Um, historically, it includes women. These caravans that would travel into different places would not just be men. So it's very possible uh, that the wise men also included a bunch of wiser women. Um, there's an affinity with astrology. Again, sort of monitoring the heavens, the cosmos, what's going on up there. Is it telling us anything? Um, you know, and so this is where they are. A contemporary of Jesus, the philosopher Seneca, um, could not stand the Magi. Most Romans and Greeks couldn't. Um, he's very sarcastic about it. He says this about them. On even the slightest Notice of heavenly body, motion of heavenly bodies hang the fortunes of nations. And the greatest and smallest happenings are to accord with the progress of a kindly or unkindly star. Uh, he goes on to talk about how they, the Magi kept predicting the death of a ruler. And he would say they, they keep guessing this thing every month, every year, every week. When Jesus was around 20 years old, Empress, the Emperor Tiberius Caesar had all the Magi expelled from the region because the Magi come with these, these kind of prophetic, hey, this is what's going on in the cosmos and this is what it means for you. And no one likes to hear bad news about their, <laughs> you know, hey, we're some weird people from the east and uh, we notice something in the, the heavens and it means that your reign is over. Uh, so we just get rid of them, you know. We don't want to hear that. So these are a very interesting group of people. Uh, but let me summarize it this way. These aren't friends of Mary and Joseph. Uh, you know how you go visit your friends who's had a kid. This is not them. Nor are they well-known Jews from another land. They are religious and cultural and national outsiders. Say the word outsiders. These are outsiders. Matthew's gospel is very interested in outsiders as well. And these outsiders are journeying into the Jesus story from the outside. So his birth, his presence in the world, Matthew is saying, disrupts the Magi. And the Magi represent a kind of reaction to Jesus that brings people who are searching 
in close. And Matthew was writing his gospel late in the first century. Uh, And during that time, when the growth of the Jesus movement uh, was experiencing more and more inclusion of people who weren't Jewish, most of Christianity for the first several decades was just Jews. But toward the end of the first century, it begins to become more of a kaleidoscope of cultures and nationalities and races. And right about the time Matthew is writing this gospel, the church is having to learn how to uh, deal with such cross-cultural realities. And the Magi's experience is used by Matthew as this confirmation to all of us, I include us in that, who journey into the Jesus story from the outside. It's also a picture of what the search uh, for Jesus and the answers around who he said that he was. It's a picture of that. It's a picture of that journey to learn and to find out more. Got it? Okay. If I were to ask you, and I don't want you to answer me, uh, but I want you to think about this. If I were to ask you, how did you get to church today? Uh, There may be Obviously, there will be a lot of different answers. Some of you might say, oh, that's easy. We got on 400, hit the connector, got off on 14th, turned right, left on Atlantic, boom. Went in the parking lot, saw it was full, cussed, went down the street, uh, parked the car, dropped the kids off, hurried back. Or some of you might say, well, oh, we came in from the east side, so we got on 20, and then we got on the connector and got on 14th or whatever. Or I took the, I took the red line to Art Center got on the 14 bus, got off at Stage Street. Or if you are uh, home park residents, you're like, we walked, we're superior. (laughs) So if I asked you how you got to church today, that's, you would tell me something like that. That's the map of your journey. But I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about the heart of your journey. How did you get here? What was the heart of that journey today? I know some of y'all walked in smiling, but that may not have been the journey. And sometimes it's not easy to get here. You got to get up. I mean, I'm the pastor here and my kids are the PKs, you know, and uh, we all come together. And so we tell them, every, you know, every Sunday, 645, we're getting them out of their bunk beds and they're just like grumpy, you know. We have an 8-year-old and an 18-year-old in two weeks. Good Lord. Uh, and the 18-year-old comes out today in shorts and a T-shirt, and my wife says, hey, moron. (laughs) And he's like, what? It's winter. And he looks at his phone, and he goes, oh, you're right. (laughs) But you know what? Like, we have to tell them every Sunday we, we thank them because a lot of kids uh, are not doing that. They have to get up and come with us, and they come early. And, um, and that journey sometimes is fun, and sometimes it's not very fun. But what was your journey, the heart of your journey to church? Let me widen the question because I think it makes more sense in this, in this way. What was your path to church this week? All of us live weeks, you know, we live the days of the week, and there are twists and turns in our lives, for good or ill. There's a lot of opportunities to go back. There's a lot of opportunities to say, you know, 
next week. For some of you, that's this pull. There's still a pull towards the story of Jesus. Maybe some of your weeks were just filled with fear or pain. There's a need for an encouraging word of hope, of laughter, of joy. Your journey here may have been the result of a journey that began years ago. Years ago. Uh, Many of you have traveled two journeys, actually. The one that took you out of church and the one that has brought you back or is bringing you back. And I'll say this because you know this to be true, but none of us make the trip into this building extracted from our experiences of our world. We enter through those doors week after week, uh, marked and dented and reshaped by our experiences. And to show up, a, we show up a little different each week, don't we? And the story of the Magi is, so. It, there's so many layers to it, but what Matthew is also saying is, with this story is that, hey, the door is always open. The door is always open. Because here's a bunch of outsiders that aren't even Jews that are coming into the Jesus story from the outside. And it is a way for Matthew to introduce this idea, this, rea- this truth, that God has just gerrymandered the whole thing. And that all people can come and see Jesus. Amen? That the door is always open. No matter what kind of weeks we've had, the lives we live, the pains that we endure, we can always enter and return. Tomorrow is January the 6th, and January the 6th is a fixed day on the church calendar. It's known as the Feast of the Epiphany, and it begins the season of Epiphany. And Epiphany just means manifestation. It means something has been like revealed or exposed, like we see it for the first time, or we see it again uh, for the first time in a new way. It's a season of um, invitation to come and look around and to watch and to listen to the stories of Jesus unfold and to see what happens. All the gospel stories over the next few weeks are just these little pictures of Jesus and who he was, and we just get to watch and to listen and to ask questions. It's a season of inquiry and discovery. And we get into that season with this traditional story of of three men or 20 or a thousand, we don't know, who make their way out of sheer interest, shaken by something that has happened in the universe, and mindful that something is important here, and it's worth our attention. And so my invitation for you, both today and in the weeks to come, uh, if you've been a Christian a long time, I, I always see Epiphany as a great season to re-enter that journey, to, to start those searches over again, to re-engage with the familiar stories, and to listen to how they might be different today for you. And for those of you who um, Christianity or following Christ is, you don't know yet, I, it's the same invitation. Um, Jesus had this knack for, hey, just come and see. That's what he would say a lot. Just come and see. Just come and 
watch what happens and see what I can do and learn from me. Um, Nowhere does Jesus ever say, hey, before you can follow me, uh, make sure you uh, get your life together, you know, as if that's ever really possible. But Jesus simply says, why don't you just follow me and we'll see what happens to your life along the way. And so the invitation for you is the same, to open up that search and to make the trip of the Magi. We all do that. We're all the Magi. We're all making the trip to see. C.S. Lewis, uh, there's a collection of letters in a, in a book called um, The Letters of C.S. Lewis. I mean, he's so amazing, we can just name it what it is, you know, letters. Um, but they just, they're correspondence. They're just pieces of correspondence that we have. People would, C.S. Lewis would get fan mail. It's just interesting. And so he would respond, and a lot of the letters in the book are those. And this is a response he gives to someone. Of course God does not consider you hopeless. If he did, he would not be moving you to seek him. Continue seeking him with seriousness. Unless he wanted you, you would not be wanting him. And I want to leave you with that today. It's a very uh, deeply ingrained biblical idea that all of us within us have this desire for the divine. And this is what he means when he says, we wouldn't be wanting him if he didn't want us. And so I leave you with that as an invitation to pay close attention to that desire in the, in the weeks to come. Amen.